0: Everybody's working with that time's jersey. Many times throughout my history watching the Chiefs, I'm pretty sure I would have argued that all you need to beat the Oakland Raiders is one good quarter. And uh, yesterday, the Kansas City Chiefs went to Oakland and in their last game in the Oakland Coliseum, literally proved that to be 100% accurate. Welcome to Times R as the Chiefs podcast right here on The Athletic. I'm Joshua Briscoe, joined by Seth Kaiser and just <laughs> Seth Kaiser. Well, okay, so what happened was, you know,
1: Nate, Nate's <laughs> been taking up an awful lot of airtime lately, Josh, and, yeah, that's a, true. and really I rambling. just couldn't handle it anymore, the impressions, he was getting so much love in the reviews, I mean, people, oh, Nate's so yep. funny with his impressions, and Nate's so great, he writes all these really in-depth articles and gets all these behind the scenes snippets, and I'm stuck in Minnesota, like, looking at film mm-hmm. that literally anyone who's willing to, you know, pay for Game Pass has access to, so... Okay, what I did was I flew to Oakland, and I turned off his alarm clock. Now,
0: childish, maybe. (laughs) Maybe. But necessary? (laughs) I think so. I wanted to ask... I wanted to ask Nate if he had any good final time in Oakland stories, if anything horrible would happen to him. I didn't anticipate it being like him forgetting to plug in his phone, or him leaving his phone on silent, or his hotel not having a backup alarm (laughs) clock, or you breaking into his hotel, turning off all of his electricity, and then flying back to Minnesota. Yeah, these are just things... I, I figured These something These are just things happen. that no one can anticipate. Like, it's not, I mean, I can't anticipate whether or not <laughs> right. I'm going to do
1: something crazy. These aren't, although I have, a, I have an alternative yeah. theory. So, the Oakland Coliseum is legendary for being, you know, how it is. I think that the plumbing broke <laughs> from the Chiefs locker room, flooded the press box oh, somehow, wow. and destroyed Nate's phone, and that poor guy is sitting there in Oakland right now, Completely incapable of talking to us, and we're sitting here clowning him. And I'm pretty happy about it, to be perfectly honest. Just, just in a big oh sewage yeah, it's bath,
0: it's disgusting. It's disgusting. It's not it's not going to be great. One big sewage bath was actually the second name we were working with until someone said, "What about times ours?" And said, like, "Oh, you know what? That's better." <laughs> so uh, it is times ours, and not a big sewage bath. Um, if you have enjoyed the show with or without Nate we're hoping he comes back if he makes it out of Oakland I mean at this point I guess there's really no way of knowing how bad will we feel if something actually bad happened to him and we don't find out until after this podcast goes up when we've been making fun of him I, for you minutes? know
1: I will have at least 10 seconds of feeling pretty foolish
0: like if we get if we get a, a message in you know again 30 minutes after the show goes up I was like hey guys I'm really sorry I was in a horrible car accident last night my phone was destroyed I couldn't get in touch with anyone I've been in the hospital for the last 12 hours um, I mean, the podcast will still be wow, funny. Wow, that took a, yeah, yeah, it took, uh, well, it, w- it would still be funny
1: for the first two minutes until it took a really dark turn. Well, I'm saying um. that
0: if that happened, wouldn't you <laughs> feel bad? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd feel bad. I'm glad we could talk about that. I just so, want to, co- cut. now we've covered our bases. Now we've covered all of our bases, and no matter what, it's still funny. <laughs> if you've enjoyed the show with any, with any combination of us, um, I, by the way, now I'm the only one that's put 100% of these snaps, and so that makes me feel good. I get a roster bonus. Uh, you can rate and review the show up on Apple Podcasts, or really wherever you get your podcasts. And it, this is the Monday episode that everyone can hear, so if you want those Friday episodes, come subscribe to The Athletic, and you can get it all. I asked a a, a hypothetical question before the show to try to get us in the right track, Seth. And I I said, All right, so Chief beat the Raiders 28 to 10. Victory there that really did take one good quarter of offense. And then we'll talk about the defense. We'll actually talk about the defense today. But I asked you, Did we learn anything in this game? And you said, Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Thank you, Seth. (laughs) <laughs> um, I, I think
1: we learned quite a bit like if you want to go since we won't get into the X's and O's right away mm-hmm. one thing that I really liked if you, you take like a big overarching takeaway besides Patrick Mahomes as a demigod I mean right. we already kind of knew that yeah, but now it's like even more so it's just like holy smokes but one thing they, they came out they played very flat Yep. In the first quarter, they they weren't really quite prepared for some of the things that the Raiders were doing on offense. They got kind of punched in the mouth a little bit, and things looked pretty tough. The Raiders were loading up the line of scrimmage, similar to what the Patriots did in the AFC Championship game. Mm-hmm. It looked like it was going to be a really long day, and they were able to adjust and come back. And it was a really impressive thing because you... You, you kind of want to see them go through it a little bit, right? Yeah. You kind of want to see them have some problems. You want to see them overcome something because, you know, the Jacksonville game, you know, they they got a big lead early. It was pretty easy. You want to see them overcome that stuff. And I love the way they responded. I love that they kept playing hard. I I love it. It looks like the coaching staff adjusted to what Oakland was doing on the fly, which on defense, again, we'll talk about. But that was different. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really happy seeing them go up against an opponent that was clearly. This was Oakland's Super Bowl, man. Yeah. This was their game. And it's just like with Jacksonville. And they're
0: going to see everyone's best shots. And so I'm really happy with what they did. I like the adjustment takeaway because we saw it a little bit last week because they had to adjust. They adjusted to a quarterback change, and, and I don't know if you would argue that Gardner Minshew's a better quarterback than Nick Foles. I mean, you, you touched on that last week a little bit. Um, but regardless, changing quarterbacks, for a you haven't been studying for a week is an adjustment to make, and the offense adjusted to having no Tyree kill. And so adjusting multiple times throughout this game, I, I actually I would agree. that's a That's something that we've seen now a couple weeks in a row, and as you put it, That's new, especially on the the defensive side. Um, I I do want to talk about the offense a little bit, and obviously we'll get to the second quarter, but you mentioned a slow start specifically on the offensive side. For me, it seemed pretty evident at the beginning that Mahomes was, was not planting on that left foot in a way that you would expect mm-hmm. him to if he was fully healthy or fully confident. It seemed like he may have gotten more confident as the game went on. I don't know if it was an adrenaline thing or whatever, but his deep balls were exceptionally accurate later in the game. But on those first couple of drives, everything was a little bit off. He was sailing a couple of things. In fact, it was it was Jeff Schwartz of this of this very uh, media empire that was tweeting about how you know whenever you're whenever you're leaving kind of off of your back foot, those those passes are going to sail a little bit. And Mahomes did that a couple of times. I would also add, and, and let me know if you think this is a fair way of reading into it. This is what Roma was advocating for as well. Um, on that incompletion on third and long to Hardman at the end of that first drive. It looked yep. like Mahomes put the ball exactly where he wanted to, and, and Hardman just kind of yeah. rounded off that route a little bit instead of going straight to the sideline there. So if, if Hardman, again, my, my first watch evaluation, if Hardman's in the right spot whenever that ball leaves Mahomes' hand, we might not be talking about quite the sluggish start that we actually are talking about now.
1: That's absolutely correct. And I agree. Mahomes had two or three passes early that didn't go right quite where he wanted them. Mm -hmm. And there's partly a reason for that. When we talk about the offense, we will, because where they were, they were forcing Mahomes to throw is by its very nature, a place where you're going to have a lower completion percentage, Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. down the field. Mm -hmm. Um, but yes, that throw to Hardman was perfect. Uh, there were a few people that had, you know, oh, you know, he looks a little off today and it's like, no, that's not what happened there. And Romo does a great job breaking that stuff down, obviously from a quarterback's perspective, right. it's always the receiver's fault. Right. But Mahomes addressed it after the game too, where he just, mm-hmm. he, he talked about the fact that, you know, uh, Hardman wanted to run the route fast and the fastest way to do it is to round it out and then to run up field a little bit. Like that's technically the fastest way to do it. Mm-hmm um because you can do it more quickly. However, the correct way to do it, which maybe takes a split second longer, maybe feels a little slower, is to cut straight outside. Right. And by doing that, you you obviously they would have connected, and like you said, that would have been a big third down conversion, would have gotten the the chains moving, and it, it's a it's a rookie move. It it really mm-hmm. is. Or not Robinson. Robinson played like an awesome like it was unbelievable, yeah. but with uh, with Hardman those are things he's going to learn. You have to run the route exactly how it's drawn up.
0: And and it, he, on his big touchdown, it seemed like that route was perfect. On the should-be touchdown, it seemed like that route was actually. We can talk about him more in a minute. We will certainly talk more about Demarcus Robinson. Um, but let's go to the second quarter here because in, we're going to give the defense its full conversation. But the the sluggishness that you may have seen a little bit that Mahomes was off and then the, the mistake there by Hardman, it creates this whole sort of dull first-quarter they start moving it a little bit, and then that second quarter was a spaceship just blasting <laughs> into the the, the depths where, uh, of outer space where where no man has gone before. The offense was outstanding for those 15 minutes. I You can pick any number of things, but especially the deep ball accuracy that Mahomes had in that chunk where it's just like, oh, yeah, here's like 35-45, 35-45, a couple of those touchdowns, eh, no big deal. It was seriously like watching somebody play Madden against a little brother who like has never played Madden before. It's like, "Hey, listen, this right. is this is unfair." Honestly, like someone should show this defense that that you can actually do things to stop this. But it was two NFL teams and the defense couldn't actually do anything to stop it. You know, I, I, absolutely.
1: I did a quick cut up after the game. I can't cut up, that sounds so official. I merged a bunch of videos because I don't know how to do anything else. So, anyway, I merged some videos of Mahomes throwing the ball and my wife commented because i showed it to her because i'm not a good husband and i force my wife to watch football highlights <laughs> that she doesn't care about and she's so great you know she's you know recovering from surgery she's like yeah sure i'll watch this with you honey um she she comments. she's like it looks like the same play over and over again i was like yeah. it does yeah. it's like groundhog day yeah. oh mahomes completed another 40 yard bomb oh mahomes completed another 40 yard bomb just over and over and what's crazy to me I can't remember a game where I felt like, and maybe the Patriots were kind of like this, but they, they ran it differently. Uh, I can't remember a game where a team said, and Romo talked about this in the broadcast, seriously, that guy works me out of a job every yeah. week. Like, when he covers Chiefs games, it's like, oh, man, I don't have nearly as much stuff to cover because he covers the stuff that people normally <laughs> don't
0: notice. Right, you're already transcribing Holton, Romo for the for the week.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, well, that that was my plan. I guess I need to delete the article I've got. Yeah, sorry, sort of. Yeah. So that's the first time I've seen a team basically say we are going to stack the line of scrimmage and dare you to beat us deep mm. over the top. Mm-hmm. And Mahomes was like uh, okay. okay I'll, like I will. Yeah, I, I, I if that's what you think the good plan is here, <laughs> um and it's just so fascinating because it's so different from what happened with Jacksonville last week yeah. because Jacksonville's pass rush was so good and i think one of the morals you've got here is you know this idea of you know stacking the box and and trying to you know change your looks to where mahomes doesn't know where the pressure is coming from that's a good idea mm-hmm. but if you're going to dare him to beat you deep you better have a really good pass rush and oakland did not and they just I mean, it was just bombs over Baghdad. It was over and over and over, and I was just laughing, yeah, by the end of it.
0: This is something that and now I'll do the cross promotion um, that we were talking about. I, I do the the Chief Post game show on, on 810 here in Kansas City, and, and that was one of the things that, that came up was like, you know it, it the deep ball stuff was all incredibly it was incredibly accurate, which is probably the most important thing in my mind. Because those stops seeming like big risks whenever they're completed like four times in a row. um, You you can (laughs) say, well, you know, hey, can you take deep shots like this downfield over the course of a a bunch of games, over the course of an entire season? Well, yeah, you can whenever they all work. Like, it's a results-based business, and and even the sort of the, the calculated risks that are being taken, you have to change the calculations whenever it's this dude in this offense throwing the ball. But also there was a little bit of a thought of like, well, it, you know, do you want to be taking these deep shots all the time? Do you want to to be able to do some stuff in the mid-range and some shorter stuff and running more of the screens that the Chiefs have become so so famous for in this last season and change? And what I saw watching that uh, game, sh- w- yeah. what did you what did you say, Seth?
1: Oh, I was going to interject. I thought you were pausing for me to talk. I, I want to hear what you have to say. I was
0: pausing to adjust the cough drop in my mouth. That's what I was doing for being completely <laughs> honest. I was getting a little ahead of myself. It was getting it was getting kind of messy over here, and so I was just trying to I was trying to steam through and and, and continue rolling forward. But then you hopped in and we, you were this is you you are Patrick
1: Mahomes. You're playing with a bad throat. You are just <laughs> in it. You are gritty. Yeah, you are the kind of guy they build Super Bowl winning teams around. Josh,
0: that's exactly right. Hey, Seth, ask me this: the post game press conference. Ask me if my uh, if my voice and, and congestion uh, bothered me at all today. Josh, Josh, talk about your voice and congestion. Whether or not that bothered you today? Oh, I mean, listen. You know, everybody out here is banged up. You know, we had one guy, uh, you know, not able to to play in today's show. Uh, so obviously, you know, we all we're out here all going through different challenges and everything. And for me, it was just something else that you know was was there. But you don't even really notice it after you get a couple of minutes into the show, and adrenaline takes over. Last one, guys. That's how every, that's how every press conference almost ends with uh, somebody. Just- they they are all remarkably
1: boring. They are. <laughs> it's
0: just very, it's just like,
1: and, and I, I never, the, the the few times that I've been there, the questions that I want to ask, it's like, you know, after the indie playoff game, and I know this is a non sequitur, but that's fine. Uh, this is kind of our thing. Without Nate here, we're going to co- cover a lot more rabbit trails. I just realized that's that. That's true. So. Yeah, that's definitely true. He keeps us grounded. Now we know. Yeah, he does. He's a professional. So I I remember thinking as I was sitting there after the the Colts playoff game that when Mahomes was up there, I wanted to ask him about what he was seeing in some of the gaps in the cover two defenses and and some of the route combinations they were running. And I was about to ask that, and I realized there's no way in Hades he's going to answer that. Yeah. Like – That's true. There's absolutely no way. And if I ask that, I'm pretty sure every other reporter in this room is going to look at me like
0: I'm an idiot. Yes. Like, why would you even ask something schematic? And so instead, I just sat there quietly. It's an interesting ecosystem we exist in because we have all this time to talk to these guys. But you can't. If you get if you ask questions that are too specific, they're going to just stare at you blankly. So everyone just sort of asks about playing on the infield at the Oakland Coliseum for the last time. By the end, like, (laughs) all right, well, they did play on dirt, and now the game's over. So now what? (laughs) I'm pretty sure I had somewhere that I was going before you interrupted me. You you were going to say
1: before the cough drop incident that derailed it all about mid range and short stuff.
0: Yeah, so, and you touched on it a little bit, but, like, Sammy Watkins took over against Jacksonville, and not to say that that was all intermediate, but a lot of that was certainly, they weren't the bombs that we saw on Sunday against the Raiders. Whenever you see those kind of shots being taken over and over and over again, I think one of two things is almost always happening. You're either getting an outstanding matchup, which was often true because anyone one-on-one in this offense is a good matchup. Or the the defense is saying we're not going to let you beat us with the screens and with Sammy Watkins six yards downfield that turns into sixty, go over the top we'll give you one on one and if you can get there get there and the Chiefs got there constantly, so I just wanted to take right. that that second which now ended up being you know five minutes to 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 point out that, that the success they had in the second quarter yesterday was not a, a problem that those weren't big risks taken out of frivolousness. Those were the risks that that were not again not that risky when you look at how accurate Mahomes was in those instances. Not that risky whenever right. you look at the matchups that were being had, and it was usually Demarcus Robinson one on one, and so you know you're going yes. there, and yes. it's not a problem to take big chunks of yards. We'll talk about the run game later on, but the the second the, the only problem for me is that the Chiefs did all that work in the second quarter and then didn't score in the second half or in the first quarter for that matter. And I'm not like nervous, but you notice that kind of thing. But that second right. quarter was perfect, and I will hear no arguments to the contrary.
1: Oh, absolutely. It was it, it was some of the best offense that you can see. And that's the problem that teams face when they go up against Kansas City, is they have to understand that they are playing a team that can drop twenty eight points on them in a quarter. Yeah um all, all that all they need is for the defense to get a few stops and we'll talk about this during the run game but I want you to I want you to file this away and you are dear listener to file this away for for a little bit later in the podcast having more possessions led to more points for the chiefs yeah just remember that yes more possessions equaled more points and what do you know the defense was able to play really well even though they kept getting back onto the field
0: quickly what an interesting concept but what a fascinating I, thing that only big, if someone would have said that last year, or maybe to someone yeah. on this podcast.
1: Yeah, it, it's interesting. It sure so is. The, the Demarcus Robinson thing is something that's interesting to talk about because he played exceptionally well. This was his type of game. And I think that's something I've tried to figure out, okay, where is Demarcus Robinson's niche? Well, I think we found it. He's a he's a good deep threat who adjusts well to the ball down the field. He can catch contested passes. He's got some speed. He is not a guy who always runs the most reliable routes, even though he's very quick. He's just not always reliable about being where he needs to be, although I haven't seen a lot of mistakes from him this year. Um And he just, I mean, he dominated. He was able to just consistently win his one-on-one matchups. Um, Now, that first touchdown was more of a, (laughs) hey, no one's covering me. But he adjusted to an underthrown ball. He did a great job, and and he made a bunch of other great catches. It was just so cool seeing Robinson and Hardman, in the absence of Tyreek Hill, basically say, well, yeah, sure, if you think we're not a vertical team without Hill, yeah, go, (laughs) You, you do you and see what happens. And they just got roasted, and I think that's going to have to have an effect on team's game plan with Tyreek Hill out because I think maybe the idea was, hey, we're going to force him into a dink and dunk, and I don't think you can do that. Even you know, with Baltimore, they've got Earl Thomas on the back end, obviously a different thing, but I still don't think you can do that. You can't just dare them to beat you deep.
0: Well, and the other thing there, like, is there is versatility still in that group of pass catchers because the deep threat is is consistent throughout the entire offense. But Demarcus Robinson played bigger than 6-1 in that game. Like, there were times that, that he was winning those—I mean, I think it was one in particular— where it was down the sideline, and he really, like, he had to fight for that ball— it was in the right spot, but like you just have to trust your receiver to win that interaction, and he did. Like he played kind of violently as a deep threat, and so like you know I I wouldn't want McCool Hardman having to actually come back and fight for a ball. The good news is he's going to run past the guys who'd have to fight. Robinson's really fast, but he's not Hardman or Tyree Kill fast. So for me, I've always had the concern of like, well, if you just try to have him take on. McCool Hardman, Tyreek Hill's role, and Hill's also quite good at this, but he's also exceptionally fast. It's why he got paid. If you If you have to just let him run away from guys, I'm not sure if that's going to work. He didn't yesterday. He was running away from guys, but whenever there was a point of contention, he won. I was super impressed with him for that reason. Absolutely, and and it's a good example
1: of the fact that ball skills are way more important than height. And to be fair, you know, six yeah. one is not a small receiver. No, I mean, I think I think Watkins is six one, six two, and so it's not a small receiver. But it's not like you know, everyone pictures when they picture contested uh, catches, they picture like AJ Green mm-hmm. or Calvin Johnson. You know, these massive receivers. But the most important thing is ball skills. Yep, uh, it's hard. To to catch a football, to track a football while you're running at top speed and being covered. And it's hard for a corner to track the ball while running top speed and covering someone. And so the ability to track and adjust the ball, because most of these guys, you know, we see the pass being thrown the whole way. These guys don't realize it until they turn and the ball is already in the air and they've got maybe two seconds to adjust to it. Yep. Maybe. And that's on a good play yeah. right where they've got plenty of time cuz think 1 1000 2 1000 how often do you see receivers setting up and watching the ball for that
0: long i mean never it, it's it's got to be if it leads them by a ton and they're way down field maybe maybe correct correct and so it's usually
1: more like a second if that mm-hmm. they turn and the ball is there so they've got maybe a second to adjust their body it's incredibly difficult to do so body control is way more important, body control and tracking the ball, than size. And you know what? Robinson has that, and he always has. And so it, it just, much like the Watkins game last week, and Watkins played okay. You know, he wasn't great, but he wasn't bad either. Like, he mm-hmm. didn't completely vanish. He had some important catches. Yeah. But this Robinson game now and the Hardman, it really does show, like, there are not a lot of great options when you're defending the Chiefs. Yes. Because Kelsey is always going to be there. He yep. converted multiple third downs. Um, Hill is obviously who he is. Watkins has shown who he is. If you let Watkins get the ball, you're risking a touchdown every time. Yep. And now it's shown that, well, you can't really just leave, you know, Hardman and Robinson on their own either because they, they'll they torch guys individually. And so I don't know what the answer is for defending this team effectively through four quarters.
0: And I just think that the secret there is that you can't. Because, again, this is without Tyreek Hill. But to your point with Kelsey, like – he ended up the 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 34 yard touchdown. Obviously, that's the big play, and and that boosts all of his averages and gives him the score and everything. I would say he had almost like a sneaky hundred yard game. Uh, Sammy Watkins had a quiet six receptions. Like you can you can do all of that math and, and look at all those things, but say wait a second. I mean, there are so many times throughout the history of watching the Chiefs where where you would say you know what Kelsey goes for over a hundred and you get a good game. If you you could have taken Demarcus Robinson. Out of the stat line, and seen a pretty good offensive showing through the air for a lot of different iterations of this team that you and I have watched over the years. the The number of options and the number of ways that the Chiefs are always going to have to beat opposing defenses is just a, it's just thrilling. Like it's a it's a spaceship. I mean, there's just I just don't know how any defensive coordinator gets any sleep at night. Maybe we'll see something from the Ravens, but we thought we might see something from the Jags, and they couldn't do it either absolutely the ravens gave the chiefs one of their best uh one of their best
1: competitions last year and it took mahomes playing absolutely out of his mind for them to pull off that win yep. so it'll be interesting because now they've kind of their, their personnel is a little bit different they lost some really important players in their pass rush but they did get earl thomas on the back end so it'll be really interesting to see how that goes this next week where i will be there in arrowhead by the way oh i forgot you were coming next week that's exciting yeah it'll be fun
0: um I w- can we record a podcast in person that might that would be i don't think i want to look at you i would do this i think i like having uh hundreds of miles yeah that freaked you out that freaked you out when we did it on 810 yeah it really did i it was it was unnerving we were sitting so close i didn't like it hey seth you're talking well, about I, the defense I <laughs> <laughs> i love how you i love how you knew i was about to take a joke one too far uh-huh. yep. yeah talk about the defense Yep, Quick. this is that's my check down right there that's my check down. We've, we've been going deep shots here's my check down let's talk about the defense
1: by the time by the time this podcast is, is up uh odds are i either my my art next article is going to be up on the athletic or it's going to be about to be up uh i'm gonna write about chris jones i've been looking at what he did he was incredibly impactful even though he, quote-unquote, only had one sack and right. one tackle for loss and three quarterback hits, right. which is a pretty good game. He also knocked down a pass. Um, he was consistently winning immediately. And so even beyond – that's a good box score yeah, right there. For sure. But even beyond that – he he did more than that. He forced Oakland to change its offense because they couldn't do some of the things they wanted to do because he was winning too quickly. Now, Oakland often does dink and dunk stuff, but you could tell, I mean, you know, as as the Chiefs are just bombing away, Oakland has to play catch up in the third quarter and they couldn't because Jones was just winning time after time after time and they had to check down, they had to scramble, they had to whatever. All these things that There's like, for example, there's one third down in the fourth quarter where Carr actually scrambled to convert or maybe it was fourth down. I can't remember. It was one of the two. I think it was a third down. And and on paper, that's a bad play for sure, because, you know, you converted. The drive keeps going. However, in the fourth quarter with an 18 point lead, forcing them to run the ball, only gain like six yards, keep the clock moving, not have any time to survey his targets down the field. That's that's a win. You know, as Oakland, they kept running the ball, too. You know, they're just like, ah, well, we're losing by 18. It's the fourth quarter. But I bet this three-yard gain up the middle is really going to move the needle. (laughs) Right. And I just, it's so funny watching other teams play catch-up with the Chiefs and continue to do this middle-of-the-field short dink-and-dunk stuff because that ain't going to do it. And so Jones was wildly impactful. He did a really, really great job. Um, He was my biggest takeaway is that he remains the best defensive player on the team, and I'm still not sure if it's that close. And I'm not
0: sure if that's good. Like, not obviously, Chris Jones being good is good news for the Chiefs in 2019. But if you're looking at the contract situation with him, there's a lot of uncertainty there. And they traded right. a lot and gave a lot of money to Frank Clark. Um, I, I do yep. want to talk about sort of how the Chiefs let the Raiders maybe take a few different things and the adjustments there. But since we're since I can't get away from that thought process. Do you have anything on two weeks of Frank Clark? Like I'm not ready to hit the panic button and say this is the worst contract that Brett Veach has given out or the worst decision or whatever, <laughs> any of that. But it's it seems like it's been a little quiet the last couple of weeks. Yeah, he had another pretty
1: quiet game. Although when you rewatch, you see a couple of really key stops mm-hmm. on third down mm-hmm. were him, um, which is a big deal. Third down stops, I mean, that's where it's at. That's the money down. Um you know, one, you know, cars, crazy scramble where he jumped, you know, eight feet in the air that the pressure was from Jones, but also Clark that forced him out of the pocket. Didn't allow him to go through his reads and he had to bail. So he did things like that. He had a few really nice run stuffs. He, he hit car a couple of times. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was, it was generally a, a more quiet game. The Raiders did a lot of what Jacksonville did. They got rid of the ball quickly for the most part. Um, they, they, they were able to to you know chip and help and that kind of stuff but overall it was it was a pretty quiet game i'm not too concerned about it like for me i think clark has made enough of an impact t- in both games you know i don't really view things in terms of well now we got to we got to justify this contract because for me the contract's over it's done so all i care about is is he impacting the game And the answer for me is he has both weeks. I want him to impact the game more, but he is impacting the game. That's
0: really interesting because that's not how I... How I read situations like this. I think it's kind of fun that we actually have something that we kind of like fundamentally look at differently, because usually you and I agree a lot. We we can do we could do another thirty minutes of this show right here. We might find two other things we disagree on, but this is one of them for me. The contract very much matters in my mind and the way that I'm evaluating it, because I'm trying to see what Brett Veach is doing here. If you know maybe we could have used a little more of this around the, the beginning of the Dorsey era, I don't know. But for me, whenever I look at the value that the Chiefs put on him, that's the expectations that the organization has. And so by, by paying Frank Clark this money, one of the several reasons I think that that contract number matters is because that's money and value they didn't put elsewhere. And now, look, if, if you want to look at yesterday as a victory for the Chiefs' pass defense, I'll I'll give you a second to make that case. I don't know if you will or not, but I probably would, to be honest. Um, but whenever you, whenever you give Frank Clark a lot of money and value him that highly, that might be the reason this team doesn't keep the guy you just said is the best player on this defense maybe not even close. It, it's the reason that you don't spend money trying to... Uh, trying to bring in a corner in free agency or maybe a reason you don't even draft a corner more highly. And so I think for me, at the very least, I'm interested in it because it helps understand how the Chiefs got to the point that they're at right now. Well, there's a lot of money on that defensive line, especially if they end up paying Chris Jones. I mean, that would really make there be a lot of money there. There's a lot of money in Frank Clark's position, and he hasn't been the dominant thing that I think you show you expect whenever you give him $100 million.
1: And I can agree from that perspective. Like if we're evaluating the organizational uh, decisions, mm-hmm. the organizational, you know, the, the organizational method. Um, you know, I would just say that based on Clark's film from Seattle, it was a good decision, right? You never know how it's going to go though. Right. Sure. So it's kind of like Kendall Fuller was absolutely elite in Washington. Right. And while he's played well in Kansas city, he actually, you know, recovered from a rough start against Oakland to make some really nice plays down the stretch. You, you just, you don't know with 100% certainty, but I, I do, I, you know what you know, I'm going to, I was talked into it very easily. Contract does come into play when you think about, you know, the the, the general manager and all that stuff, but it doesn't come into play when I gauge the player, because I think what that does is it gives us uh, tinted glasses when yeah. looking at a player. It's kind of like Eric Fisher is a good left tackle, mm-hmm. but he's always going to be viewed worse than what he is by some fans because they can't get past where he was drafted. Right. And so for me since my job is to just analyze the film i tend to shut off that part of my brain completely when i'm gauging whether a player impacted a game i don't use like a a sliding scale of well he should have impacted it more because he's getting paid more money it's did he impact the game now that might be a little bit more favorable for players sometimes Mm -hmm. but it also at times you know i don't also say man you know that uh that emmanuel agba he was just a beast because they're only paying him five hundred thousand dollars right it's all equivalent if that makes sense yeah but when gauging veach it definitely matters
0: i would say that maybe you look at it as a coach and i look at it as a general manager look at that we're covering different ground i like how even in your hypothetical world you've made yourself my boss i would say that i'm the brett veach to your andy Reid. Oh, that's sweet. And so you didn't I'm have not. To say that. So I'm not your. I definitely can't fire you. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Brett Veach definitely cannot fire Andy Reid. No, let's be honest no, here. No, no. I'm not sure if Andy. I'm not sure if Andy can fire Brett Veach, but I know Brett Veach cannot fire Andy
0: Reid. Um, <laughs> like, I think. Does that make Nate Clark Hunt? Um, I don't know. I don't. You know what? Right now, I don't know what it makes. Uh, he's not here right now, so I don't want to make sure. any implications on that. Um, what I will say is. <laughs> (laughs) I think we know, Seth, if Andy Reid could fire Brett Veach, (laughs) because a GM change happened really recently, and Andy Reid didn't go anywhere. I think that, at the very least, Andy Reid could have stopped the Code Red, would be my argument. If he can't order it, he could have. He could have unpushed
1: the eject button yeah. if he wanted to. Yeah, Andy Reid sure. actually
0: can put the toothpaste back in the tube like that. He actually can
1: yeah. do that. No organization. Yeah. Okay, that's not bad. You you said something that I really liked. Where you talked about that you could argue that this was a win for the past defense. Yeah, that's exactly here's where we go Pe- next. Was it good? Well, you know, I, I'm back and forth because you know, Oakland made some good plays. Here, here's where I get frustrated. And I talked about this last week. We as, we as fans, and, you know, I'm supposed to be an analyst, but I'm still a big Chiefs fan. Everyone knows that. Mm-hmm. We view things through a prism of what our team does and doesn't do. And so it's very much like if, you know, our te- it's our team played well or our team played poorly. But the reality is sometimes the other team just plays well. Oh, by the way, Gardner
0: Minshew looks like he can play a little bit. Yeah, um, also the Jags defense isn't actually all that broken. They made they make, they make yeah, Deshaun Watson it? look like a dude. Isn't that so
1: strange? Anyway, so what happened with Oakland? I think you have some of that where you know Oakland just they 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 made some car made some really good throws in the yep. first quarter. Yeah, he I mean now he had a, he had one where he had a receiver more open than what I would have liked, but there were just sometimes they just when you play zone defense, you are going to by its very nature leave yourself vulnerable to certain route combinations, and there's nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. And if the quarterback makes a good throw, you're gonna give up yards. So that happened. Um, they weren't getting as much pressure early in the game, but later in the game when it counted, um, they were at, you know the back-to-back sacks that they had. You know they ran a little bit of movement up front, and then they they ran a blitz the play before with Fuller coming in and getting the sack. Mm-hmm. They actually ran a few more stunts and twists. They they were getting more disruption up front than they were against Jacksonville, and that says something because Oakland's offensive line shut down Denver last week. Keep in mind. They've got a decent offensive line. Mm-hmm. And so the the coverage on the back end, I'm still concerned. But I heard Romo mention something. I haven't seen the All-22 yet because they don't release it till like Tuesday for some reason. But Romo mentioned on a really good uh, pass defense play by Travarius Ward. He said, you know, they're playing zone on half the field and man on the other half. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if Spagnolo is adjusting towards cleared efficiencies that in makes, zone. That would make a lot saying, of sense. Look, you can play man. I'm going to put you on someone and then I'm going to call the rest of the defense, which you know what? Ward is a pretty talented man corner. Yeah. And so it makes sense to do that. And so I'm, I'm curious if they're going to keep, if they're going to keep playing it that way with him on one side of the field and then the other side of the field doing more zone, because that's something teams do that people don't talk about enough. Everyone wants to talk about, Oh, that's cover two man or, Oh, that's quarters or whatever. Defensive coordinators do mix and match on sides of the field. And so I, I thought they adjusted well And look, the reality is, and people can say, oh, because Carr made a mistake, blah, 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 you know, because they just want to make excuses that they wouldn't make for the Chiefs, say, right, right. right? But the reality is they gave up zero points through three quarters. The rest of the game, Mm -hmm. Uh, they they gave up ten points total. It against an offense that looked like it was playing pretty well. So I I would agree with you that I'd call that a win for the defense.
0: Yeah, and overall, because we're gonna have the run defense in a second also, but like overall, I I have a little bit of kind of a a cognitive dissonance when I when I think about what I was feeling watching the game and then I go back to the results and it it. Even like from a yardage standpoint, and from from even like a third down standpoint, like the defense executed p- pretty well. But I found myself like it felt like the, the Raiders were dragging the Chiefs across the fifty pretty consistently. And so whenever yes. you see that happen, like that makes me a little nervous, and it takes me back to to a few years ago, whenever there was a lot of that bend don't break stuff, where the Chiefs defense right. was getting a ton of turnovers, and they were really good on third down and in the red zone. But, like, I I do think that there's an element of luck and small sample size to that. Like, I think that if you give an infinite sample size to a defense that that has, you know, good luck on turnovers and on third downs and everything, eventually that'll fall back down a, a little bit. But... Overall, like I, I do think you have to take what happened yesterday. I love even the idea that Steve Spagnolo is actually adjusting to the players that he has. Because while I do think there's a chance that maybe we got a little a little too hyped about just, hey, not Bob Sutton and, and you know, Steve Spagnolo hasn't been doing revolutionary things recently in the NFL. But just doing some basic things like adjusting your scheme to fit the talent that you have is something that I don't think we've seen Bob Sutton do. I don't know if we ever really saw him do that well in Kansas City. Maybe not do that at all in Kansas City. It certainly didn't feel like it happened at all last year. So all of that makes me a little bit optimistic.
1: Absolutely. Um, I think after just two games, generally speaking, the way it's supposed to work is early in the season. Offenses are supposed to have the upper hand because they've got a lot of new stuff. Mm-hmm. Um now, sometimes that can be bounced out, especially with teams that don't play their starters in the preseason. That can be bounced out by rust uh, on the offensive side of the ball, and we've seen that in some games. But I, I think, you know, you, you don't have as much tape on people on what they're doing. You're just not as sure about tendencies, all this stuff. You don't know what your guys can do, like if you're Spagnolo and you're you're kind of new to everything. Um and so I think it's going to be kind of a learning curve. And the fact, like you said, that they adjusted. And Sutton usually didn't adjust mid-game. He did at times. Mm-hmm. Like, but his version of adjustments were he would change coverages at times, but it was all still within his formula of what he had always done. Yeah. So I- I'm encouraged. It'll be interesting to see how they do against a good Baltimore offense and a unique
0: Baltimore offense. I'm so excited for that game because there are so many on both sides of the ball, so many challenges for this team that that we haven't seen in either on, on either side of the ball. It's very exciting. Um, one last thing on the defense, well, not maybe the last thing, I guess, but that we, we've talked about the pass rusher a little bit with, with Chris Jones and Frank Clark. I did see on Twitter that, that Carr was clocked at an average of, of getting rid of the ball in 2.47 seconds. Last week, you said to expect him getting rid of the ball in about 2.5 seconds, so we're going to go ahead and say you're within the margin for error on that one. Not surprising, <laughs> but you know worth noting, and also maybe a decent explanation for the pass rush, even though there were times that he had some time back there, and I would have loved to have seen someone hit him, but whatever. They're also a good place. I don't want to just be a little negative Nancy, but I do want to also talk about the run defense <laughs> because yes. the Raiders ran the ball really effectively, uh, but also Josh Jacobs only ran the ball 12 times. So you can sure. you can read into that however you'd like. The, the margin was 18 points at halftime and then obviously throughout the entire game from there on out. What did you make of the way the Raiders chose to do that? And what does that tell you about the Chiefs defense?
1: Well, here's something that I would note. So, you know, Josh Jacobs ran the ball 12 times for 99 yards. Mm-hmm. And now, to be clear, I'm what I'm about to say, I'm not saying as something that should be an overall way of viewing things. Mm-hmm. He had one big run of 51 yards. Yep. Besides that, he ran the ball 11 times for about uh 48 yards. Yep.
0: Give or take. Yep, around 5 yards still. Carry still. Yep
1: yeah still still very respectable. Mm-hmm. but if you go back and you look at it on a run- by- run basis, he did have multiple runs where he was stopped for three yards or less. Sure, right? Yep. Which is one of the, the problems with the running game is that happens way too often. And if you look, uh, Washington ran the ball three times for nine yards. Richard ran the ball two times for three yards. Um, and they were able to so the, the chief's defense against the three running backs, the vast majority of the game we're able to curtail them without giving up any really harmful plays. Mm-hmm. A 5-yard run is not that harmful a play. Right. There's no such thing as a game and I know, we we've been trained I, the more I look at a football game, the the less terrified I am of a running back even averaging 5 yards per carry mm-hmm. because guess what? You got to do that twenty times to get down the field. Yep. You know, if you're going the full hundred yards. Yep. If you're going eighty, you got to do it. You know, sixteen times. No running back's going to run the ball fifty times in a game. They just can't do it. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so, the run defense wasn't great, but I don't think it was quite as 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 bad as the final result would look. You know, nineteen carries for 129 yards total for them. They, they, they corralled them when they needed to. Like, if you look at some of these carries in the second half, that, you know, besides that one big run for Jacobs, the rest of them, you know, they'd run the ball up the middle and it's like a four-yard gain or a three-yard gain or even a stuff at the line of scrimmage. And the clock keeps moving. I'll take that all day with an 18-point lead. Yep. And we saw some of this last year, too, where teams didn't switch to desperation mode quite quickly enough against the Chiefs. And you've got teams, you know, taking eight minutes off of drives in the second half when they're losing by three scores. Now, the Raiders eventually did shift and they tried to pass the ball more. But I would point out they went three and out multiple times or like four and out or five and out because they couldn't quite get that first down running the ball. And then they had an incomplete pass or a pick or whatever on third down. So. I'm not thrilled with the run defense, but it, I don't think it was terrible either. It was kind of similar to the Jacksonville game where I thought it was good enough.
0: Yeah, I'll buy that, especially whenever you're looking at what they have uh, on the, you know, whenever they, they switch sides, if you will. Um, and I'm glad they're talking about the run game because let's just talk about the Chiefs' run game here. They straight yeah. up, you cannot sugarcoat this one for me. The Chiefs did not run the ball well in this game. LaShawn McCoy was the leading rusher with 23 yards, and I believe he was at something like. I believe the team was at something like sixteen or seventeen. Like going into that last drive, the, the Chiefs were. They did attempt to run the ball a chunk of times. Um, they did not do it well ever. Their longest rush was for six yards. Um, but Seth, I've been told that running the football in in the NFL, it's really really important, and you need to be able to do that well to win. Whenever it gets cold out.
1: Yes, well, that's that's the big automatic answer that everyone has. Well, it's different in January. It's, Seth, I've and been told, told that, that it's th-
0: different in January.
1: I and I always ask people how. What's cold? And they say, "Well, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta wear teams out. You gotta control the clock." Here's something I need people to remember. Barring turnovers, which the running game does not control, now you can talk about like throwing interceptions in that, but keep in mind we're talking about the Chiefs here. So you're talking about a demigodic quarterback who doesn't throw that many picks, honestly, and running backs fumble the ball too, guys. They also, there's more holding penalties that are called on run plays and pass plays, Mm -hmm. all right? Mm -hmm. So those things start to even out. Barring turnovers, every team gets a possession after a possession. Yep. They take turns. Yep. So when you talk about controlling the clock, all you're doing is lowering the number of total possessions in the game. Yep. Okay. Does yes. that make sense? Yes, like intuitively, Josh. Like, am yes, I explaining that okay? Yes, because it seems controlling it seems the like game just means, get this, less
0: possess, just means less possession. That's all it means. Which, you know, which
1: that can be a good thing. And that can absolutely be a methodology of winning a game when you believe your offense isn't as good as the other team's offense. Correct. Right. Or when you're the underdog, you, c- controlling the number of possessions is absolutely a viable method, but. If you have the better offense, which the Chiefs literally always do, correct. or or you have the better defense, and so therefore you trust that your defense can shut them down Mm -hmm. more than the other team's defense. So basically, if you're better on either side of the ball, you want more possessions because it takes away randomization. Yes. What I mean by that is, you know, random turnovers, fluke penalties, whatever it is, right? Yes. The more possessions there are, the more things even out. It's like anything else with numbers. The bigger the number, the bigger the sample size, the less random it should be. So if the Chiefs only get seven possessions in a game because they're running the ball a ton and they're grinding it out and establishing the run and all that, That means that some random fluke fumble on a bad snap, say, that sails over Mahomes' head, that ends one of their seven possessions. Yeah. And it becomes much more important than if it's one of 12 possessions. Yep. All of this is to say the Chiefs ran the ball too much on Sunday. Yes, they did. Now... Maybe, maybe in the third quarter you could sort of justify it. But, you know, I had someone tell me because the Chiefs threw the ball twice for two incomplete passes. They had a three and out, and they, they gave the ball back. They're like, well, that's why right there, you know, they didn't keep the clock running. And you know what? I can understand that to an extent. However, when you play like the Chiefs play, and you have a bunch of short passes that can keep the ball in the field, mm-hmm. you're better off throwing the ball because you know what really moves the clock? Not running the ball, and, oh, there's 40 seconds. Oh, there's two yep, we ran the ball three times and 120 seconds was taken off and then we had to punt. You know what really moves the ball? Not punting. Yep. Yep. That, that's what that's what really runs the clock is by not punting and you hanging on to it. So there's a time and a place to run the ball. They they had some of those against the Jags. I wrote about this last week, where you know they faced a few empty boxes and Mahomes motioned McCoy back into the the backfield and they ran for like thirty yards. But when your te- the team is stacking the box consistently, which the Raiders were doing, running the ball is foolish yes. and redundant. And so, I, you just look at that second quarter. Do you like that or do you not like that? <laughs> right. And, and, and that's the, the, the effect on the defense. I've asked multiple defensive players about this now. Mm-hmm. The idea that it's somehow, you know, oh, you got to give them time to rest. I've asked multiple defensive players about this, and they say they love it. Every one of them, yep. to a person, yep. say they love it when the offense scores quickly because it fires them up. And they say, we just can't wait to get back on the field and get them the ball back. And you and I have talked about this on A-10. There's a natural stoppage when a touchdown occurs. Correct for the defense, Correct. right? You know, you have the time, everyone's celebrating, you've got the extra point, you've got the kickoff. There, there there's natural times there that don't occur when a team goes three and out. So, the long story short, and I'm see I know I'm preaching to the choir with you, nope. but the reason someone out here me, needs to hear
0: this. That's okay.
1: Yeah, someone the the, the reasons that you give me, and I'm more than happy to talk to people. And it feels like I'm I'm mean about it because I had some say. Wow, you're making fun of people. I said you're not being you mean. You know that if I'm making fun of people, I feel bad. No, I, I don't want to make fun of people, but I will make fun of bad thought processes. Believing something just to believe it mm-hmm. is not. That's not critical thinking. It's kind of like for years we are like five years removed from the vast majority of football fans insisting that a quarterback needs to be able to take snaps under center to be a good NFL yes. quarterback. Yes. We are, not, we are not far removed from that. And I would just ask anyone that used to believe that, ask yourself, well, why? And if you believe, well, in January it's more important. Why? Cause, well, because it's colder. Okay. So? Mm-hmm. Have you asked players about playing in the cold? Now, running the ball is important. In the right situations, you can ask Jeff Schwartz about this. In the right situations, imposing your will on another team, that is demoralizing. Those things can matter. But when you can throw the ball better than anyone in the league by far. So I'm not making an argument for every team in the league to behave this way. But when you have Patrick Mahomes at quarterback, you have these weapons and your your offensive line just isn't running the ball particularly well, a team
0: is stacking the box. Why are you running? Ever? Well, and the idea of demoralizing another team, the Chiefs put up 28 points in 15 minutes. <laughs> That's demoralizing, That's- my friends. <laughs> That <laughs> will ruin a team. You don't think that the energy in that in that quarter shifted a little bit? It was ten nothing, then it man. was twenty eight to ten before the Raiders knew what hit them. That's right. also demoralizing. That's... That also grinds <laughs> down on a team. And, and but instead of yeah. instead of grinding down on the 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 linebackers and making them hit your guy, which is also grinding down your running back, by the way. The offensive line did not need to to run block to get into a groove. The protection was pretty good, even whenever Cam Irving was in. He he definitely let Lashawn McCoy get consumed on that first time, that first snap he was in. But then things evened out a little <laughs> yeah. bit. The idea that the offensive line like needs to run block, I don't know, man. they they're. they're there may be, like, a psychological advantage to getting a, a lineman to get to do the thing that he wants to do. But, man, if you want to grind down on a defense, let the let that, that secondary try to chase this team around for 60 minutes. I promise you, right. by the end, that's going to be the most tired that that defensive backfield has been at any point over the course of the season because they're chasing around, like, missiles. It's just... It, it the 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 fact that the conventional wisdom and just the oh you got to run the ball when it's cold and you got to wait on defenses the fact that it doesn't pick up on some of what I would consider to be relatively obvious jumps of of well that's what it used to look like but here's what makes sense now is is right. mind boggling to me like and I know that you don't really care about either the Royals or the NBA but I'm gonna do a baseball and basketball thing really quick baseball's become about home runs. Like, it's it's just home yeah. runs and strikeouts, and it's not a lot of fun to watch, but that's generally how you're winning. And so if you're in Kansas City, watching the Royals try to, to win another World Series with speed and defense feels a little bit silly at the moment. And like, yeah, that happened quick. Like, that wasn't very long ago that we had a parade here in Kansas City. But that game changed quickly. In the NBA, you saw the Warriors change the game quickly they said all right here's what we're going to do we're going to get a bunch of dudes who can shoot because the math says if you are making all of these threes at a clip that we think we can be making these threes no one can keep up and the only teams that have gotten close really have either had LeBron or have also shot like that like that's generally the strategy the thing here is that the Chiefs can shoot like that and they have LeBron like that they that's right. everything LeBron and Durant are, are on the Chiefs at this point
1: absolutely and and again Every game is different, you know? And so anything people say, and so people always want to say, well, in some games, yes, absolutely. In some games, I think the Chiefs will have a game this year where it makes sense for them to run the ball 35 times. Mm -hmm. I really do. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think teams will just back off and they'll be terrified. And it's fine. Audible to a run to Shady or a run to Williams. Yes,
0: fine. Do it over and over. But not out of obligation to to a running game.
1: Yes, exactly. You don't do something just to do it. You do it if it works. And what works for the Chiefs primarily is passing the ball. The, the last thought I, I'd leave you on this when you look at some of these runs, you know, people are like, oh, well, you've got to grind out the game. Well, getting stuffed at the line of scrimmage and making it second and 10 is not helping you grind out the game. Yep. It's just not. Yep. And, and the Chiefs were not running the ball well yesterday. Now, let me be clear they do need to run the ball better. If they sure. want to win games, generally, they're so good passing the ball that it might not really matter, honestly. But you, you you really what they need to do is understand on games where they're not running the ball well to say, OK, well, fine, because it felt like they were doing the Raiders a favor yes. every time they ran the ball. Yes. And and you, you don't do the thing that the other team wants you to do. You know we talked about this all the time when when Bob Sutton used to drop Justin Houston into coverage, mm-hmm. don't do the thing the other team's hoping you do. Mm-hmm. And is that a universal rule? Not always. Sometimes you got to mix things up. I get that. But really every time except one or two times, it was a favor to Oakland. And I think the Chiefs had they just shelved the run said fine. You guys want to keep stacking seven guys at the line of scrimmage, we'll keep throwing the ball down the field. We'll keep doing this. Yep. You guys wanna you guys want this game to end up 60 to 10. We'll go nuts. But they didn't. And I think Reed needs to really look at that conventional wisdom of running to keep the lead.
0: Yeah. Because because you can throw it four yards to keep the lead because Sammy Watkins and Absolutely. Travis Kelsey are right there. All the time, you can take the most. Absolutely. You can take the most consistent, accurate options, and a four-yard run would be would be a, a win in that spot. But a four-yard pass, maybe with some space, turning up field, isn't the the thing that you just lean on right there. I, and I think ultimately, I kind of think they will actually make that adjustment. I, I actually do kind of believe that. One other thing that I want to mention on that front, because someone asked about it again on the eight ten post game show uh, yesterday. Someone said, well, you know, this team runs RPOs, and it, it seemed like maybe even with the Jags, they stopped kind of respecting the run part of that option. And and what I would say is the second that a team stops respecting the, the possibility the Chiefs could run the football, they're going to run it. If there, are, if there are nine defensive backs on the field, the Chiefs still have five offensive linemen, at least a tight end, at least one tight end, and uh, and a back out there. That, that, that's going to be the case pretty much all the time. They have the versatility right. to say, oh, they don't expect us to run the ball here. We'll go ahead and do that. I'm not advocating for cutting all the running backs on the team. but Not even a little. But it's, it's, it's silly to feel obligated to go to that part of the game whenever it's not working and you don't need it.
1: Right. And with regards to RPOs, remember, that's a play-by-play determination that's made by reading an individual defender yep. usually. Yep. And so if Mahomes is pulling the ball to throw it, that means that he read the defender and says they are still respecting the run. Yep. And so I wouldn't want to argue with Patrick Mahomes on that. Yep. Because I assume, I assume he's doing that for a reason. Yes, you need to keep them at least somewhat respecting the run, but everything that I've seen about defense as I look at the numbers is that you don't need to run the ball well for teams to respect the run on, like, play action mm-hmm. because that's what they're taught to do. Yep. you got linebackers who have been taught for 15 years – to mine their run fits. They're not going to stop for that one game. And again, if they do, I bet you anything that Andy Reid and company would notice in the first quarter, wow, these guys aren't responding to play action at all. Guess we need to hand the ball off 20 times in a row, see yep. what, you know, or even just once. Yep. And like, up oh, one fifteen 15-yard gain later, then they'll respect it. And so... Again, I'm not advocating for the stupid position of literally never run. But outside of obvious short yardage situations, you know, they converted like a second and one. Yeah, you run the ball on second and one. Sure. Usually. Yeah. Um, you know, um, really grinding it down. You know, if you're in the fourth quarter with a big lead, okay, yeah, play it super safe. Even then I'd say sprinkle in some short throws. Um, you know, those situations or against a box that's emptied. Other than that, honestly, I Patrick Mahomes should be throwing the ball.
0: Yep, 100%. Well, I will say so. I think that was probably the best episode of Time Czar's that's ever existed. Easily. Um, I th- think th- that was by far the best one ever, possibly, um, and we should probably do it exactly like this every show for the rest of the time. If you've enjoyed the show with or without that, that other guy who I've literally already forgotten about, you can uh, leave a review <laughs> on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed to The Athletics. So you can also get our Friday episodes, plus... We have some news. Our team here at The Athletic and our friends at Wondery just launched a brand new daily sports show called The Lead that we know you're going to love. It's the first daily sports news podcast that will cover everything from the world stage to the hometown. With the help of The Athletic's more than 400 sports writers and editors. Hey, we're some of those. uh, Co-hosts Kavitha Davidson and Anders Kelto will bring you sports news up close and personal each weekday morning. You're going to hear a preview of the lead here in this feed, but you can also subscribe to the lead on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now, so you don't miss an episode. There's also a link in the episode notes that'll take you there, so you can go click that. Uh, Ooh, and of course, you can check out the Daily athletic. Show. You say, say that again. I, I'm throwing you off your rhythm. You really daily are. Daily Show. You say. To this point, I just have one <laughs> more line I need to read, and then the podcast is over. So I'm really seeing the finish line right now. <laughs> I'm sorry, Josh. And you can check out theathletic.com slash thelead to read stories features, featured on The Lead. I was doing great and then all of a sudden just absolutely throwing garbage straight at my head. If you're not already following us on Twitter also, please do that. You can still follow Nate. He's at ByNateTaylor. Seth is at Real MN fan. I'm at JBBrisco. You can use the hashtag TimesRs. And without Nate here, Seth, I got to say, it's your time to say Nate's famous catchphrase. That was my bad on that.
1: Sorry, Josh. <laughs>
0: You can follow sports through sound bites or
1: a full story. From up in the press box or down on the sidelines.
0: What do you you want to accomplish this year? Actually, I want to accomplish getting on this team first. This fall, a new daily podcast brings you closer to the sports stories that matter.
1: Stories about players. A guy like Zion just
0: represents that hope of the failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. That's the buzzer. Stories about hometowns. You will see hundreds of people wearing number 32 Simpson jerseys uh, in the stands on Sunday afternoons for a Bills home game.
1: And stories about the teams you love. This was the first chance for all those baseball fans to see their guys.
0: From The Athletic, home to the best storytelling in sports.
1: And Wondery, the company behind Sports Wars and Gladiator.
0: I'm Kavitha Davidson.
1: And I'm Anders Kelto. Introducing The Lead.
0: Faster,
1: faster. Go beyond the box
0: score five days a week. This isn't a story where you go to some place and interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you. Are you me? I have never seen
1: anything like that. The lead premieres September 16th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Oh, what a the lead sports up close.